This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Thurman Fletcher, the CFO of Tableau, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 486. Hi, it's Jack Swinney. On this episode, we catch up with Matt Fay, CFO of FinFit, during his first 90 days on the job at FinFit. Matt can certainly be counted among a new breed of finance leaders that have become increasingly focused on the customer success journey. We asked Matt to highlight some of the milestones along that journey as he looks to energize and collaborate with the FinFit team. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. wellness and benefit platform servicing over 110,000 clients today. Matt, welcome. Thank you, Jack. I'm very excited to be here on your show today and think you're providing a valuable service to new and aspiring CFOs, so thank you. Wow. Thank, thank you for that plug. We don't always get that, so that's nice to hear. We're going to uh, begin, as always, by asking you to look back, Matt, and sharing with us a few of those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Absolutely. Um, you know, the first thing you have to look back at for me on my career is just to be thankful for the leaders and the coworkers that uh, have been around me my entire career, as well as uh, my wife who's uh, supported me this whole time. But I started uh, after I graduated from the Ohio State University's business school, and I moved to New York City to take a bite out of the Big Apple, 
and I joined a boutique CPA firm in Midtown Manhattan that had a really unique and interesting client, which was the Newhouse family's holding companies, uh, both Advanced Publications and Newhouse Broadcasting Corp. The Newhouse family, uh, Donald and Cy Newhouse were brothers. They were listed on the Fortune or Forbes richest people list, and they were like number seven, and this was before the tech titans kind of took over that list. Um, but uh, I worked for the CPA firm that took care of uh, pretty much like their corporate accounting headquarters. And what we did is uh, we're really more focused on operational audits, internal control audits. So being a private family-owned business, uh, their concerns were really about safeguarding their assets um, and taxes. So I really got a good opportunity to learn about the publishing and media businesses. Their assets were uh, newspapers throughout the U.S., um, magazines, so they owned Condé Nast Publications, which was GQ, uh, Mademoiselle, Vogue, The New Yorker, uh, uh, Condé Nast Traveler-type magazines, and then Random House Books, so they're a book publisher as well and owned several book publishing entities. Um, so I got to go around, and, and then the Newhouse Broadcasting Corp uh, holding company was uh, the seventh largest cable system operator at MSO, multiple system operator at the time as well. So they later merged that um, and did a joint venture with Time Warner Cable. So it was a really interesting experience uh, to work with an entity of that size. Um, I got a lot of operational uh, perspective for media companies and subscription businesses early on, you know, this new subscription economy they're talking about. I've been doing it my entire career uh, because newspapers were subscriptions, magazines were subscriptions, and cable companies were subscriptions. So I've really been uh, handling subscription economy uh, for all of my career. So that's, you know, really what I learned was a lot about uh, subscription businesses, media businesses internal controls and taxes at that firm. So that was a really great foundational experience for me. Uh, then I moved on to KPMG and joined their ICE practice, which was uh, a really interesting information, communications, and entertainment line of business. So that really drew me because I was really interested in, obviously, my background in the media, but also the new technology industry that was developing all around us. Um, and I learned a lot about SEC reporting. I had large and small clients that were both private and public clients. Um, I transferred down from the Columbus, Ohio office to Norfolk to take over a large uh, programming cable company, the Family Channel. Uh, they were an SEC reporting client. They did a lot of uh, acquisitions and M&A activity in the entertainment industry. Um, it got a lot of really uh, great experience around M&A work. Um, I did a, led a project for Raycom Media. They were acquiring about a billion dollars of TV stations along the southeast of the U.S., and I led that due diligence team uh, through that process. I've done um, world-class finance projects, which are like financial reengineering, business process, consulting um, systems, implementation, and selection type projects. So I worked with an internet service provider at the time, selecting a new accounting package and implementing that. And I had a really interesting um, project that came out of one of my large uh, cable programming companies 
clients out of the CFO office. And it was, they acquired a film library, um, you know, Hollywood TV series back from the 80s, uh, a very, very popular hospital program at the time. Um, and what they had in that uh, acquisition was there was a lingering dispute between a very famous Hollywood producer and um, the programming company that owned the asset. And what they were doing was they were developing distribution statements, which were basically a type of Hollywood accounting where a certain film would get distributed and there would be a net profit kind of pr perspective on that. But when I read the agreement, after looking into uh, this dispute, I went to the CFO and said, hey, you know, uh, the accounting has been done, done on this distribution statement accounting, and I read the contract, and it's actually a joint venture. So would you like me to kind of dig in and, and see what the joint venture accounting would have been or should be and compare that to the distribution statements? And maybe that's what this dispute is, you know, underneath it. So he said, absolutely. I pulled together a team, and we went through, you know, decades of uh, transferring the distribution statement to joint venture accounting. Uh, he decided to send me out to Hollywood and uh, present these financials to uh, the producer's accountant. So I flew out to Century City, California, absolutely gorgeous place I've ever been probably in my life, <laughs> and uh, sat down with our lead partner in charge of the entire entertainment practice, Dave Merritt at KPMG, and uh, this Hollywood producer's accountant and presented my financials and explained, you know, the background of distribution statement accounting had been done. It's actually a joint venture. And after I presented, he said, you look like a, an honest guy, and these financial statements look good, and we will accept them. He had full rights to go into full audits of those. He just accepted it on the spot. So I got an opportunity for a win-win to kind of close uh, an outstanding dispute for this this uh, Hollywood producer and uh, pro cable programming company. So that was a real exciting uh, project for me in my career. I also had another one where I was doing a new uh, film studio here in Virginia, and I was helping them get started their accounting and their books. And um, I was working with, this was Tim and Daphne Reed. So if you remember, I'll take you back again to who Tim Reed is. He was Venus Flytrap on WKRP in Cincinnati. So I used to watch that when I was a kid, uh, growing up in Ohio, of course. Um, so it was a really neat project to work with them. And I was, you know, putting their uh, financial statements together one night late with Daphne Reed. And Daphne was uh, the mother on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, actress, Hollywood actress. And we were working late one night on her books. And she said, well, Matt, you want to go grab something to eat? So this is my, you know, single or second claim to Hollywood fame of a Hollywood actress actually took me out to dinner. So uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's a first for the podcast, by the way. That's silly. <laughs> At least we haven't had uh, too many finance leaders mention uh, similar dinners to us. Uh, well, you can't uh, say that finance isn't glamorous. I sure, sure certainly can. Um, but what I learned at KPMG and my big takeaways were, you know, SEC reporting. I helped a couple of companies go public and really the rigor around public company reporting both to their management boards and to the public markets through their filings was really um, at, a, at a very high level. Financial statement analysis and all of the consulting projects that I 
that I got. Um, and then one of my last projects at KPMG was the Internet was starting to take hold, and a dot-com company, QualityClick.com, wanted to get their back-year audits and go out to market to raise some capital. So I started those back-year audits, and about halfway through the audit, they said, Matt, why don't you come join our team as a CFO and help us go raise some capital? So um, at that company, I was it was you know a high-growth Internet retailer, really an early uh, Internet pioneer-type company, and um, we grew – from about 10 to 30 million in less than two years, we raised uh, 10 million through a private placement memorandum. We uh, raised 10 million of debt financing. So really, uh, was a fast track for my first CFO job of really learning, you know, how to tell that money story to uh, partners and investors, and really understanding the the cash cycles and cash flow models um, that required for uh, this growth startup because uh, growth tends to consume cash. Um, so those were my experiences. I, I really have developed a, a strong passion for technology, finance, and building companies. Now, Tim Fit is your third CFO tour of duty, and just to step back in time to uh, that, that chapter where you uh, step into the CFO role for the first time, uh, no sooner are you in that role, though, that the economy uh, and the dot-com implosion, as it was known at the time, is, is experienced. I have to believe that left uh, some maybe hard lessons for you, or no. What would you share with us? Uh, absolutely. So it really was a tough time when, when the economy was blowing up, and we also had you know e-machines um, over in Asia giving away computers and computer equipment to get an Internet service uh, subscription. So a lot of things were being done in the market that really didn't make a lot of economical sense. So a lot of companies kind of just blew up. I was fortunate enough to have my resume up on Monster.com at the time, and I got a recruiter. I wanted to get into the software industry, um, and he tapped me and had a software company up in Richmond, Agriquest, uh, which was a workplace management uh, enterprise SaaS firm. And uh, they wanted to do the same thing, go out to market. Um, so I spent some time uh, there before my FinFit endeavor. Yeah, and it, it was a long tenure that you, you had spent there, in fact, over 10 years. So it's interesting to catch up with you uh, as you open this new chapter. Tell us a little bit about FinFit. First, what, what are the offerings exactly? What is FinFit's uh, strategic edge here? Yeah, so FinFit's a very exciting new fintech company that's a financial wellness platform that provides a suite of tools and resources for 125,000-plus employers. And that's growing at about 500-plus employers per month. So very rapid growth, uh, millions of employees and financial service providers in one easy-to-use marketplace. Um, what we offer on that platform is an engaging digital experience for our users that includes a personal financial assessment, um, educational tools, credit resources, uh, student loan assistance. Uh, we're coming out later this year with game-based education and budgeting apps because, you know, finance is boring to most people. It's not boring to this audience because we love it. We think it's great. Uh, but most people really kind of push this at the bottom of their list of to-dos. Um, so we need to make that fun. We need to make finance fun. And that's 
something we're addressing this year. And then real-world financial solutions to assist people that uh, either don't have enough savings or need a, a fast uh, consumer loan at the time uh, for an emergency. So we're providing that, and we have an exciting lineup of new products coming out this year, financial products. Uh, we just released two more new products called Wage Now and uh, Prepaid Visa Card in the first quarter. Our Wage Now product is a new proprietary solution that we developed for the employer and employee that get into that uh, awkward conversation when an employee needs an advance on their pay and really doesn't want to tell the employer they don't have, you know, some safety capital. And the employer tends not to want to have to deal with those either, so we're providing a solution for that problem where uh, an employee may have earned income, they just aren't uh, ready to get their paycheck yet, it's a week out, say, but they have an emergency and they need pay so they can use our wage now platform that will give them those funds instantaneously. Um, and we're working with our customers and partners uh, to build, you know, more smart financial wellness programs into the platform. So our, you know, competitive advantage also comes from some of our key strategic partnerships. So we have a partnership with very large players in the industry, including Paychex, uh, Celtic Bank, Aries Management, Bison Capital, uh, and Visa, and we're very thankful for their support of our business and um, look forward to delivering the business and shareholder returns to those partners as we grow. Um, and then finally, I'd have to say that our FinFET leadership team really has deep consumer financial services and technology industry backgrounds especially David Kilby, our FinFIT's president. Uh, we have a passionate team that really believes in trying to change the world and helping people with their financial well-being. So, Matt, we know that you're uh, just arriving there, really. So this is your first quarter, <laughs> first 90 days, probably. But what would you tell us about how you'd like to structure finance and, and, and whether you're likely to make additions to the team, in terms of skill sets, or and, and again, from your past experiences, are you going to build this a little differently? Where, what are the types of skills you might add that perhaps weren't as critical uh, 10 years ago? So. Oh, that's a great question. So, yes, I've just been here less than a month, so I'm still learning the industry, still learning the business. Um, but, you know, the first thing you have to do is really assess those skills on your team. Uh, against what the skills you project to need in the next 12, 24, 36 months. Uh, they have a great team already in place, uh, but there's, you know, been rapid growth here, so trying to keep up with that. And what was an early identification is that, you know, they're really doing a lot of, you know, baseline accounting, you know, bean counting, uh, transactional. There's a high transaction volume through this company. Um, so, you know, doing those baseline assessments of those skills and the career growth that each team player wants to uh, provide. And, and then from my financial reengineering kind of consulting background, you always kind of look at the people, the process, and the technology that's there to support it. So the key skills probably we need to develop, and it's something that they're looking for me to bring and coming in full time, is, you know, some of the FP&A, so budgeting and forecasting discipline, working collaboratively across the management team to help uh, each manager, whether it's marketing, sales, production, operations, uh, to have some, some better insights into the financial perspective of their 
uh, department. And then, you know, we'll be a collaborative group to work together with me sharing some of my experience and background and then them sharing their knowledge, which has been great. They've really been uh, wonderful in helping me uh, get up to speed. But, you know, we're going to be blocking and tackling, you know, in accounting for the next uh, three to six months of trying to get the, you know, the dates to close the books down to a reasonable number of days, uh, restructuring our account, uh, chart of accounts to, you know, we're adding new products and we want to look at those uh, profit margins by product line and, you know, trying to get the chart of accounts to, to be restructured to align to those, you know, business insights that we're going to need and then develop those unit economics around um, the business. So the skills, you know, really are going to be, you know, those finance and accounting professionals that, you know, we all have good math skills, but what you need is you need those that can look at the numbers and be able to develop the money story around the company, what's happening underneath the numbers. So we can talk about variances, uh, but what's happening? Were good things happening from that variance? You might have more sales and marketing costs than you budgeted, but are you driving new leads and pipeline and sales through that increased cost? And that's where some of the unit economics are going to help you. And getting the, the team to understand those unit economics and really look at the inside of the story around the numbers rather than just, you know, completing the month end and then moving to the next month. I want you to uh, reflect a little on the, as you use the phrase, the inside story around the numbers as they relate to customers. You've got a customer-centric uh, organization, it sounds like, but what are, you, what are your priorities as it relates to, to uh, the customers and the numbers? Uh, great question, Jack. Um, so customer success is something definitely that's near and dear to my heart. I developed a customer success team at my last uh, SaaS company that I was with. And, you know, measuring customer success and understanding what are those desired outcomes from your customers and having, you know, playbooks and measurements around what the first value is that a customer is looking to get from your platform and understanding that. And then what's the next value that a customer may want to get from the platform and what's the final value? And that's really defining the customer journey and the, the customer lifetime experience and the value of that customer to your business, but really helping them be successful. And uh, that's really, you know, an exciting part of any business, I think. It's where you really get to, you know, and that's why I really like technology businesses because they're very focused on outcomes. And delivering value and outcomes to your clients is, is very important because technology industry is so competitive. And we're helping people have a better financial well-being. So it's, it really resonates with me on helping people understand finance, uh, understanding money, and, you know, the more we can do that, the, the happier our customers are going to be. Um, so what you, you know, need to do is, you know, one of the first things is develop those ideas around what are those first value, next value, and final value, but come up with a customer health scorecard. And you can do this pretty simply by identifying what those key metrics are. Maybe users on the system, maybe user logins, it may be, um, you know, what products on the system they're using and how are they using them, um, how often they're logging in. Um, and you really want to help that customer 
and that health scorecard, then you should be able to look across your customers and say, okay, this customer, they haven't logged in for a week or a month, or they logged in, they did their personal assessment, but then they didn't go to the next stage. So they may need some help or some coaching. Um, and then what? Then there may be some that are using the system. You see the customer success metrics and health scorecard, and you're like, wow, they're being successful. So they, those may be, you know, good customers that will be willing to do case studies with you, be references for you, you know, be out in the market promoting your product. Um, so identifying what those key metrics are and determining, you know, what is the customer path to success and helping them get to each stage of value. Well, you mentioned a couple of things there, which I thought was interesting. This customer success approach that companies seem to be adopting or moving towards, um, you, you, you uh, I think, are, are somewhat a, a veteran uh, as it relates to uh, some of the approaches and maybe the technologies there. And I just want to, this customer health scorecard, and I've heard it, uh, that, that phrase used a few times now from finance leaders who seem to be uh, coming up to speed rather quickly on measuring uh, the customer experience. And, and not to necessarily name a technology platform by name, I'm going to name two here, but like a Tatango or a, a Gainsight, these are a piece of the solution as well, right? So there's best practices, uh, identifying certain customer metrics, and using uh, technology to help share the numbers, or am I close? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Look like? yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the new... Uh, customer success programs out there, the two that you mentioned, obviously Salesforce has one um, that they're improving upon. But at scale, it's like anything. The, the software can enable your team to deliver a better experience for your customer, and those solutions are there to really help your customer uh, succeed and your team succeed along with them. So those those programs, you know, you don't have to have them day one to get the, the customer success journey started, but, you know, three, six months into your program, absolutely you're going to want to give your team the tools that are going to help them deliver on that customer success promise. So for those finance leaders who sort of arrive in a new role and realize that it's up to them, they have to play a, a central role in helping take their customer success model to the next level, and they want to convene sort of a brainstorming session, who is sitting around that table? Well, um, the first couple uh, are going to be, you know, your your support, your customer service team. So you want to know where, you know, customers are doing great things in your platform and where they may be struggling. In fact, I would recommend to every CFO even um, to sit in your customer uh, service or technical support departments for a week a year at least and listen to the conversations that your team is having with those customers. It's amazing the, the insight that you can get into your business for doing that. I used to do it every week at my last company where I sat in uh, on the weekly technical support um, meeting to, you know, really understand what's going on at the customer level. One, one last thought on, on, on this. You mentioned the customer service organization. I can see a lot of CFOs thinking, gee, I, we really need to enhance our focus here. They sit down with the customer service people, uh, and they're using a model that was carved out 20 years ago for 20 uh, for customer service. And, and certain things are hard to, to let go of. Um, 
and let me know if this is an appropriate question for you, but for someone who's observed this closely over time, I think it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on it. How has customer service had to change? What is, was there a mindset there that perhaps in some ways uh, was curtailing customer success? Absolutely. You hit a, the nail on the head on that one. You know, you want to bring in salespeople, account management, uh, team leads to that process and really round out your customer success org. In fact, where I've seen the customer success go, sometimes it's sat in technical support, sometimes it's sat in account management, but really where I think it's going um, and it's been most successful where it's its own department. So you need you know, technical support, you need customer service, handling client inbound calls. Customer success is more about being reactive and helping the customer succeed versus, um, or proactive, excuse me, rather than the tech support desk and customer service being more reactive. So we went through this big transition at my last firm because we were a classic enterprise software delivering you know, workplace management technology to the largest companies in the world, Johnson & Johnson, MetLife, KPMG, et cetera. And then we shifted and built a SaaS uh, platform that was delivered only through the cloud. And it was, you know, changing really our entire business, and customer success was a big part of that. Uh, we had to change our product development processes as well. But with that, you know, you have to really look at, you know, what can you enable the client to do themselves? And self-service is a big part of that, and customers like to service themselves as long as it's easy. They don't want to take on something that's challenging or complex, but, and sometimes they do if they're at the enterprise level, they, their IT staff likes to do that, but you want to make it easy on the customer. So developing, uh, you know, your, your knowledge base and your um, uh, tech support portal that you have that is allowing the customer to get the answers, and you really have to, you know, retrain your tech support staff to where you're solving problems to where you're helping a customer solve a problem for themselves. And then over time, that support activity, they start to migrate to helping themselves and creating a community online of users that tend to know software better than the actual software providers. We would be amazed sometimes how our enterprise clients were using our system. And we're like, wow, we never <laughs> even thought of using our system that way. So. Um, it's amazing, you know, how much your customer really knows and how much they can really help, um, you know, be successful as long as you help them through that journey. CFO Matthew Fay shares a finance strategic moment after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. 
To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, so we want to uh, jump to our finance strategic moment question where we ask you to look back over time and identify, and I'm sure there are many to choose from, but a moment in time where you, uh, given your lines of sight into the organization, was able to see a risk or an opportunity. What comes to mind for you when I ask for a strategic finance strategic moment? Well, that's a, a, another great question, and it really takes me back to one of my more exciting times in my career, which was the whole dot-com boom. And when I started my first CFO uh, position at this high-growth Internet retailer, they were a true Internet pioneer, qualityclick.com. Um, and the problem that I saw after being there, and I'm you know, doing the monthly inventories, you know, to keep the book straight, and I'm seeing, you know, some shrinkage in inventory, and I'm seeing, you know, this long, odd parts list because we built computers and sold electronics uh, through our website, and um, I was seeing, you know, this cause a high warranty cost, so our tech support, you know, resources were strained, and, um there were compatibility issues because we were willing to kind of configure a system however a customer wanted, which was part of our value. And then there were quality issues because you're buying sometimes um, products and components that, you know, may be coming from a new vendor. Uh, so your vendor list starts to explode up. You know, our inventory terms were slow. So I'm seeing all of these kind of, you know, financial perspective things. Um, and I came up with this idea, and I ran it by marketing, our marketing director, and I said, you know, how about we put together what I'll call a family computer bundle, and the reason, a couple reasons for this, one, we're getting ready to go into holiday season, and we've been doing all of this mass customization of computers, which is great, we can continue doing that, but how about standardizing a computer bundle that is going to fit this market like I said, the Internet was exploding. Not everybody had home computers at this time. So um, we could hit the market with this product bundle and make it so it was cost-effectively to produce and have higher margins. So I took marketing director said, great idea. Uh, took it over to our production manager and said, here's what I'm thinking. You know, put together a product bundle, uh, low-cost manufacturing and high quality, of course. We all want everything, but, you know, kind of balance those. You know, it doesn't have to be the Intel chip. Uh, AMD was, was a solid choice, and that's exactly what he picked um, back in the day. And then, you know, I talked to procurement and merchandising once I had that product bundle from our production manager and uh, made sure the parts availability from solid vendors, the quality, and then what's the pricing and website placement um, with our merchandising director and kind of came up with that. And then I sat down with Warehouse and Distribution that actually reported up to me and said, hey, this is going to be a new offering. We want to make sure these customers receive the full bundle because it's going to be a, a lot of different, you know, it's going to be a printer, it's going to be a monitor, it's going to be a CPU, uh, desktop, and we don't want to have any missed ships um, or short ships. So we want a really good customer experience through this. And we put that together. We put it. You know, and this was all done with our – we didn't have to do really anything new. It was just repackaging and putting it on our website. I wanted it front and center on our homepage. 
and you could click right there, buy online. And, you know, the early Internet days, you know, everybody had a website that they were selling from, but not everybody had a website that sold, that actually processed the transaction. So we had a call center, you know, so our website was promoting all of our products, and many times, especially when it was computers, people had questions, they wanted to configure things, so they called in to our sales reps in our call center and, you know, made the sale many times that way. So we put this up on our website, and in the first day that it was on our website, we sold more units of that family computer than we sold units uh, through our website for any single month of our history. So it was a really exciting success for me, especially being the CFO and coming up with a, a product marketing idea. And it uh, increased our strategic revenue, which was, you know, completing transactions online. Uh, it reduced our inventory turns, had higher product profit margins, lower warranty costs, and frankly, happier customers. We even had our customers that loved to do the configurations start ordering the pre-configured product because they loved it as well. So sometimes a simple solution can be just by, you know, looking at some data and coming, it doesn't have to be a complex solution or solving a complex problem. There was fairly obvious issues in the inventory at the time for me or any CFO that would be looking at your inventory terms um, and that kind. So driving growth and uh, being part of the operations team is very exciting, and, and that was one of my successes. Is there is there one thing that is exciting you today about finance and business? What would it be? Well, with um, FinFit, I'm very excited, as I mentioned, about helping people understand finance and money better and doing that through an easy-to-use, um, you know, digital experience. And that's as exciting for a finance guy I think you can get is where you're helping people, you know, consume financial products that benefit them, that they, you know, will be helped through the process because everybody – tends to struggle with this uh, part of their life, and it's not, like I said, it's not something that's fun, so making it fun um, is really exciting for me, and how the things that were coming out, especially this year with the gamification and the customer success uh, areas of, of user adoption and, and uh, helping our customers succeed, are, it's very exciting for me. Thinking back when you, you did step in to a CFO role for the first time, you step into it, and what is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you at the time? You, you have all this wonderful experience behind you, but there had to be something you wish someone had told you. <laughs> well, I did, I and I mentioned it. I had a lot of great uh, people around me, so they were very helpful. But, uh, you know, it's all about – you know, understanding the money story of your business, understanding the cash cycle. You know, the first thing a CFO, first couple things, you know, understand the cash cycle. You really need to know, you know, what your margins are and what products and, you know, what those unit economics are that you're trying to drive. Uh, understanding the customer better, that's probably, you know, if I really think back over my career, and this is why I've taken on operational roles. And at my last software company, I was leading the, at one time, you know, account management, uh, technical support, project management, customer implementations, uh, customer success. And I gained such a increased understanding of the customer 
and how that then helped me because before I was, you know, sitting in the CFO chair um, and, you know, always looking at every question or opportunity from a financial perspective. And really when I got into operations and I started to understand those customers and what their unique needs and sometimes wants are and helping them be successful and helping your team be successful, that's really, you know, you don't, as a CFO, help your customers be successful. You're helping your team help the customer be successful. And probably the, the number one thing outside of the finance realm of, you know, understand your cash cycles um, is understanding that customer. Is there a personal habit you have that you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way? Yes. Uh, one of those, I would say, pretty top of the list would be you know, learn from the best in your industry. And many times they're going to be people that you're working around. And my whole career was always people I was working around. But there's, you know, lots of information out on the web around the best CFOs of a technology firm. Or it's not even just the CFO. Being the best at, you know, understanding the SaaS industry, the unit economics, uh, coming from, you know, the SaaS background, I was – really always out trying to learn the new things that were going on in the technology market because technology is a constant evolving learning cycle and that's probably one of the most important things if you're going to be a CFO especially of a technology firm because the markets move so quick you have to be able to forecast and have insights into what those market shifts are going to be and make sure that your company is positioned with the resources in the right places at the right time to be successful. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Uh, sure. I've, uh, you know, really enjoyed the Scaling Up uh, and Rockefeller Habits book. It has a lot of useful uh, one-page strategic planning insights. It has a lot of good how-tos. Uh, especially for, you know, smaller, growing uh, firms. They have kind of built out a framework around four key questions and basically kind of take you through a process of understanding your people, your strategy, your execution, and your cash. And usually one of those is your main pain point, hopefully only one. <laughs> but uh, they also have uh, useful operating practices like your meeting cadences, you know, really – leveraging kind of that agile scrum meeting process, um, looking at employee feedback, customer feedback. Um, so that book has been really helpful in just kind of getting some really good business practices and how-tos, suggestions that have worked for other companies. And it, he's taken it from a lot of, you know, it's called the Rockefeller Habits, you know, really good habits that highly successful business people have taken over time. And then uh, secondly, I would, you know, this is just, more of a promotional plug, but the new productivity engine, uh, which was really written for financial wellness benefits in the workplace by David Kilby, the president of FinFit. I would highly recommend that book as well, especially for CFOs. You know, delivering financial wellness to your employees is going to increase their productivity. They will be less distracted by financial issues in their lives during work hours and be more productive and happier for that. Okay, our final question, what are your priorities as CFO of FinFit over the next 12 months? Uh, over the next 12 months, I would say, you know, the number one priority is going to be 
you know, working with the management team and accelerating the growth that they're already, we're already, you know, growing 50 to 100% per year, and we want to increase that growth. So helping with those unit economics and working with the marketing and sales team, make sure that sales and marketing engine is really, you know, fine-tuned and making sure we are all on the same page with those unit economics. So when we go and if we raise additional capital and put that into our sales and marketing engine, that we're going to get the outcome and the growth that we're expecting to make sure that, you know, the, the firm is growing, but it's growing through capital-efficient process. So that's probably number one. And working with operations and streamlining the operations, uh, it's because, again, fast growth, you have to constantly be looking at your business processes and scaling those for the next level of growth. The other thing I really like about FinFit is their very strong focus on automation. So every time a process starts to get too manual and bogs down a resource, the answer isn't get another resource. It's how do we automate this and um, really helping the team kind of go through that evaluation process of, you know, what internal business processes are the most important business process to automate and accelerate, accelerating that scalability of our business to achieve the, the very um, big growth prospects that we have in front of us. Matt Fay, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. This is fun. You're making finance fun again. <laughs> yes, we're, we're doing it one finance leader at a time, one episode at a time. Thanks for the good word, Matt, and thank you, everyone, uh, for listening. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.